would like to call the Parks and Rec Commission meeting to order this evening. So first off, I just wanted to introduce myself, Alex Hackman. Thank you so much to our guests who are with us this evening. We're grateful that you're here. Look forward to hearing from you a bit later. Um, first, uh, or second item of the agenda is approval of the September 14th, 2022 minutes. So moved. So Do we have a second? Second. Second. If I could interject and yeah. say that these are the hardest minutes done ever in the history of yeah. probably the city of Iowa City and did this. I was thinking like, oh, how did you, you must have rewatched the tape? A couple times. Okay. <laughs> I, just wanna, I just wanna know for the record, this is only like game third I am. Good job, game. Yeah. Wow, impressive. Very much appreciated. All right. Uh, with that, so item number three, if there's any public discussion of any items not on the agenda that can come up. Well, with that, item, <laughs> item number four, which I'm incredibly excited about. So, Iowa City Bicycle Master Plan update. Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Sarah Walls with the City of Iowa City. And, and, Boston. Boston. Yep. and um, Julie said, you know, maybe not a slideshow, but I thought we would, um, I'll have you pass these opposite. This page here is right out of the Bicycle Master Plan that was um, the proposed network. And this is kind of where we, we are at now. Um, and so I'll just kind of walk you through things real quick. The Bicycle Master Plan was adopted in the fall of 2017. It involved a lot of public input. Um, we had some very well attended in-person sessions where I think one of them we had almost a couple hundred people attend. Um, there was also outside, um, online surveys where people could identify problems or opportunities. Um, a lot of the things that are in the plan and that are in um, and that are on this map that I give you and on the if you the metro area trails map there are a lot of routes and things those have existed for a long time um, or have been identified for a long time also the trail system was planned for a long time ago and we're nearly um, completing that uh, those those trails that were planned a long time ago with the completion of the Highway 6 trail, we're getting a segment next year and then another segment in 2026 that'll complete the Highway 6 trail and then there's a proposed trail that runs down like old 218. Um, those are kind of the last big elements of that plan. So like I said, a lot of public input. Um, we had some um, help from some really good consultants who um, did a lot of focus on um, what are destination, important destinations, obviously parks and recreation opportunities um, for big destinations, schools, employment centers, um, grocery shopping, things like that. We wanted to focus in and make sure that we had um, facilities that would, or ways that people could get there on bike. Um, the, the focus of the plan looked at, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with the League of American Bicyclists, the, the city council, one of our goals was to um, get a, a gold um, designation from the league. Right now we're at silver. I would say probably when we complete some of the next projects, we'll probably get to gold. However, one of the odd things about Iowa City is that our street network 
compared nationally to other street networks, we're very low speed. And for an odd reason, we get docked for that in the league because we don't have lots of bike facilities on high-speed roads because we don't have high-speed roads. So it's something that when you're in other parts of the country or even like someplace like Des Moines or Cedar Rapids or the Quad Cities even, you know, you'll see that the, a lot of the roads have much higher speeds than we have here. So it, I think it means that our, what facilities we do have are friendlier. But anyway, we, we do get docked for that. So um, uh, just a little bit also about what, as we're looking at things that are in the plan, you know, actually being on the ground and seeing what the conditions of the road are like, um, looking at some additional information that we have now that we didn't have then. We have a lot more of what's called Strava data, which is an app that a lot of bicyclists or a lot of um, recreational competitive bicyclists use. We can kind of, kind of hone in and see where people are riding and do some evaluation from there. Um, but the bike lanes, <coughs> which on this map are shown in the dark blue, Bike lanes we typically apply mostly along arterial streets. Um, those are streets that give people long distances cut across the whole community, but they tend to have higher volumes. Portions of them, though not much, may have higher speeds. Um, and they're just less friendly to bicyclists, so, so a bike lane is helpful for people. Still, not everybody is comfortable um, riding on those kind of streets. So on our lower volume streets, um, sort of based on those routes that we've had for a long time, we are developing bikeways and we sort of time those to go in around other facilities like completion of trails, completion of bike lanes. And um, along those, you'll see the little emblem that I've shown here, this little blue emblem, will, be, will appear along, periodically along that street and then there will be wayfinding signs that get people to important destinations like schools, like parks, like um, uh, bike trails. So that's what we do with those. Um, getting uh, to those on-street facilities um, often come, they are often timed with, enough, not always, but often timed with another project. So when we're doing a street overlay, like new pavement, when we're doing a street reconstruction, when we're a new construction of a street, um, or a four to three lane conversion, then we will get, so going from four lanes to two lanes in the center turn lane, that additional space we will allocate. You can either allocate it to parking or to bike lanes. Our preference is to allocate it to bike lanes. So for when we think about um, new street construction, um, McAllister Boulevard is an example. We have the bike lanes and the what we call a side path, that wide sidewalk. So for people who are comfortable in the lanes, they have the lane. People less comfortable riding on a street like that, they have the side path. Um, other examples are Foster Road. Right now we're um, building American Legion Road out to Taft Avenue to serve the new Hoover Elementary. That has bike lanes on either side, buffered bike lanes, which is a six-foot bike lane with an additional 24-inch buffer outside that. Um, and then we have the side path on the side. Now, is um, that because it's an elementary school zone that you did that? We're doing that with all um, arterial streets. Unless there's some constraint that we can't do it, it's just the, it's just the way that we're doing it. Is a buffer just space, or do you have like some... Um, it'll be an additional line. Um, so so you'll have the bike lane, and then you'll have additional space, and then another line. Is it kind of like a shoulder? 
So, so if I'm if this is the curb, we'll have a six foot bike lane. And you'll have a lane line there, and oh, there's between an additional the, line. Okay. Uh, the closest example that we have close to here is if you're in Governor or Dodge, um, north of here, you'll see the buffered bike lane on those streets. And the American Legion also includes a pedestrian tunnel. Yeah, under the and under that, American Legion Road. Yeah, and that connects from the wide sidewalk and also to the trails in Windsor Ridge. So, yeah. Thank you. Wait, is that going um, That's like by the dog park? No, that will link to the school. Oh. It's to get kids to school. It's about where the bridge was on the Windsor Ridge Pond, am I right? Yeah, yeah it's down the yeah. best way to describe where it's at. Yeah. Um, for four to three lane conversions, I think the one that most people are aware of is Mormon Track Boulevard. But um, we also have that portion of First Avenue that runs from Highway 6 to the Junior High. That, that's how we got those bike lanes. Um, actually, Sycamore Street went from 4 to 3, and we got the bike lanes. So those are examples of places. And we're doing that 4 to 3. It's usually for safety purposes, where we're getting, you know, people are always jockeying for position when there's a four-lane road. So that turn lane, if you need to turn, you get in the turn lane. Otherwise, you're in the other lane. And then that additional space goes. Um, uh, to the bikes and it also can have some traffic calming where it inhibits some of um, the higher speeds so that's kind of how we're going um, like i said the, the plan was adopted in late 2017 really didn't get rolling till late 2018 and then covid came along so we have a lot of projects that have been delayed but um, next year <laughs> cross your fingers we're going to get um, a lot more done some of the things um, that have come online recently are um, Madison Street, the four to three lane conversion down there at Madison Street, um, you know, sort of from the CRWC over to Market now has bike lanes um, on it. Um, other streets that are coming, <clears throat> American Legion is being built right now, a portion of Rochester Boulevard, so from First Avenue down to Montrose, we'll have bike lanes, and then from there, there will be um, Sheros guiding people down to where you merge onto the Market Street bike lanes. Next year, next year, right, Market <laughs> and Jefferson will be going from old-fashioned, I think, five-foot bike lanes. We'll be getting six-foot bike lanes with the buffer. So um, those those bike lanes will be improved, and I think the Market Street bike lanes are really needed. Those bike lanes, to me, always create an issue of like people putting their trash cans in it. So even if you're back in the bike lane, people are dodging stuff in it. Yeah. Or cars that are parked. Yeah. yeah. Like especially down. Yeah, because I. Clinton Street. Clinton Street has been a real challenge, and um, those bike lanes came on kind of right as the pandemic. As and then yeah. the way that we all get stuff suddenly changed, where everything is Lyft and Uber and Chomp and yeah. Grubhub and delivery. So it's been a, it's that has been a challenge, and we're trying to meet a lot of you know, it, it's 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 a hard, it's a difficult situation because we want to keep the bricks and mortar businesses in business. And, yeah, but we're working on it. Um, other ones that are coming online, Keokuk Street, um, south of the highway, will be a four to three lane conversion. So you'll have bike lanes from the highway down to Sandusky. Um, and then we will have bike lanes on Southgate Avenue. And then eventually at the end of Southgate, there is in the plan to eventually get over, um, have an access then over to the Iowa River Trail. Um, next year, there's also a reconstruction of Benton Street. So from Greenwood out to, um, 
Mormon track, we will have bike lanes on um, Benton Street. So um, coming in 23 Rochester, I thought that's under construction now. It's under construction now, but it won't be completed till next year. Right now, Rochester. Oh, no, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, November. No. Yeah. no, no, it's not November. I wish it was. I live okay. off of Rochester, but no. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what, what is coming. We had a question, I think, about bike boxes. So bike boxes um, are a, a, a way of helping bicyclists connect from bike facility to bike facility. So at signalized intersections where both intersecting streets have facilities, we have bike boxes. So down at Madison and Burlington, we have a two-stage box. So there's a spot for you to ride across Madison and wait in a box ahead of traffic so that when the light turns green on Madison, you can, you can continue on to Madison. It just gets the bicyclists out of, um, kind of out of the way of cars and cars behind bicyclists so they can make that movement and get through the intersection before the cars really get into the intersection. We also have bike boxes at um, Jefferson and Dodge and at Marketing. Marketing. Do you think that does, does make great things? Yeah, <laughs> so what it does, in those situations, um, on as you as you have probably noticed on Market and Jefferson, people are on are on the left. The, the white lanes are on the left hand side, so it helps bicyclists move across. Again, on the red light, they can position themselves out in front of traffic, so when the light turns green, they can make the turn and get into the next bike lane right away. Do you away. think bicyclists know that? I just like, this that. is, I had no idea what that was, because it's totally news to me. We've done some education, and we're trying to educate more people. Some bicyclists do, others don't. For the two-stage bike box down on Madison, if you're down there, there's actually a the sign, sign that explains okay. to you what to do. I'm not bike. But we have put out stuff on social media, but I think it's a matter of time of bicyclists using the bike boxes mm -hmm. and then other people seeing how understand so so we yeah. consider bike boxes anywhere again where we have a signalized intersection and there's bike bike lanes on both but we if it's going to mess up traffic too much um, you know there are situations where we won't do it but right now we're getting them pretty much everywhere where where we have that situation um, there is in the bike plan, aside from the facilities, um, there are other components, you know, education, encouragement, um, evaluation. Um, we're just focusing on the engineering right now, but we do, we, we do do bicycle counts and we're looking for more ways to do that to see how bicycling is increasing. I think in terms of encouragement, Parks and Rec plays a role in that, the education that um, um, that, that you all do. I know you have bike events down, say, say at Terry Trueblood, and offer opportunities for that, but the bike community also does a lot of that work. And so, for example, the bike library do, um, is a big part of that effort. And if you don't know about what Bike Iowa City is now already, you should check it out because that is where you can go to find a comprehensive list. Um, they do a calendar, and um, their address is on the back of the, of the bike map of any kind of bike event that's taking place. So at all levels, racing, um, slow roll, no drop rides, um, kind of um, even like clinics that teach you how to change your tires, that stuff, all of the bike shops, all the bike groups all put their stuff there. So it's one stop shopping. And they're really, um, their goal is to promote Johnson County as kind of a mecca for bicycling in this part of the Midwest. And I think they're doing a 
really awesome job yeah. um, of doing that. So yeah, and the bike library is amazing. Yeah, we've gotten several bikes there traded, and it's a great yeah. resource. Yeah. How how closely do you work with the streets division on the master plan? Because I guess part of the reason I asked, like you're uh, you're talking about like you know different places for bike lanes. So I did I do bike. Uh, quite a bit um, as a means of transportation and also for fun. And so I kind of look at some of the areas you've identified and bike lanes are great. Um, but I think some of the, like, the more popular, especially coming from the east side of town, some of the like, more common ways and even some of the ones you have identified here, like those roads are not in great shape. And so you might have like, so like friendship going down market, like you might have a bike lane, but if the road is like, yeah. if the right. lane is in poor shape, you know, I'm right. not gonna ride a bike lane, right? So that's you know that when I was talking about the new, like you put them in with resurfacing and things like that. Now Friendship Street won't get bike lanes. So typically when we're going to do bike lanes, for one, you have to have wide enough pavement width yeah. on the street to do it. Along something like uh, a place like Friendship, you have parked cars, and I don't know that we don't want to disrupt the parked cars. But also the traffic volumes are low enough that you mm -hmm. don't really need a bike lane. Um, but then you have other streets like say Court Street where you don't have the on-street parking. I think like it's barely wide enough that you could have bike lanes, but I don't think you'd have comfortable bike lanes. So we look for, that's where the bikeways come in, is providing people other routes to get around those. So, um, but at, when we were doing the planning, um, we had a technical advisory committee that involved the um, city engineers, city street departments. I think you were on that committee. Uh, police were on that committee. So. We were both taking input from the consultants, input from the public, and then looking at the situation on the ground. I have to say that there are streets identified in um, the Bicycle Master Plan. For example, a portion of um, Muscatine was identified for bike lanes, and it's simply not. The street met the bare minimum width, but considering storm drains and other, a number of other things, and the fact that it's a transit route, um, our bicycle advisory committee advised not to put the bike lanes on all of Muscatine, but use um, sharrows on a portion of it, bike lanes on a short portion of it, and then to focus on um, the uh, on the bikeways, the side routes. But I guess are the is the streets division sort of cognizant? Are they are they keeping the bike uh, bike master plan? Um, sort of in the front view, like as they're as they're planning. Oh yeah, out yes, yes. So yeah. every year at budget time, which we've just gone through, we sit down with engineers and the, and the streets division, and we look through what's coming up, what we can get done, and yes, yeah. So they're and all of their projects. So for example, with the construction of new arterial streets, right off the bat, the engineering division is planning those with bike lanes and with the side path. Yeah. Um, on First Avenue and say like Iowa City um, versus Coralville, obviously right. we're going to be talking about Coralville. Um, the road is very narrow, it's in not great shape. Um, I don't think it's ever going to be wide enough in its current field configuration for say like Rochester through Muscatine, um, other than the part up by Hy-Vee that's ever going to be wide enough to do anything. Do you ever consider widening the sidewalks, like say in front yeah, of City so that, that actually instead? Actually, um, that street does call for a side path. That eventually we will get that wider sidewalk. Oh, okay. the, the complication in an area like that is, I think, you know, if you think of the um, side paths that are along, like, say, um, Sycamore Street, Scott Boulevard out there, 
As we're building um, new arterial streets, we really limit the number of driveways and intersections along those. Mm -hmm. And so when you get into these older parts of town, so that would be a good example, like along, the city, along city high, depending on which, really either side, there won't be a lot of driveways to go across. But as you get south of Court Street, yeah, there's know, a lot of So it makes it, I think it's, um, uh, it's a good application for like people who are riding who maybe are less comfortable or kids going to school or things like yeah, that. Yeah, there's a lot of But there is that safety concern then of the number of intersections and the, the driveways. Yeah. But the plan does call for a side path. Yeah, because my, my husband's a frequent biker and he doesn't go on that road because right. it's very hilly. There's yeah. nowhere to go if a car is right on you or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pretty dangerous yeah. road for bikes. Yeah. Or sat in there right there. Well, it's certainly uncomfortable at certain yeah. times of day. I would agree with yeah. that. And then I would say, like, up until you get to about Washington Street and then north is really hilly. Right. The rest is, is fairly yeah. level and comfortable. But I see bicyclists biking on there, and yeah, the traffic is piling up behind him. And I'm. Because you can't really. You can't go around. Well, you can't. It's, it's hard to get far enough over, depending on how much traffic there is for people. Yeah, but to me, like, if, you know, you could widen the sidewalk, you know, from, yeah. let's say, Rochester up to, to the Court Hill Trail, that's the right, plan. then you could take those bikes yeah. off the road, yeah. and then... And then we also have um, a bikeway planned, I believe, on Westminster, is that right? I think Westminster calls for a bikeway, so we'll, right now there's some construction going on in that area, but that's another way for people to get oh, through. Yeah. Has any been taken from um, non-bicyclists as far as this? Um, the reason I'm asking is because as a I mean, I'm not a bicyclist, but as a driver, mm -hmm. I sometimes feel bad for the bicyclist because, I, I mean, you've got two lanes of traffic and it's like you're trying to pass and you don't want to get too close. Right. But you don't want to hit the other car and, yep. you know, so. Anyone could provide input, and we did get some input from non-bicyclists, um, which was mostly like, I don't want bicyclists. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think what we're trying to do with education is educate people how to pass, and sometimes that means you do have to wait. Um, and also trying to teach the bicyclists how to position themselves in the road, because there are times when bicyclists want to be further into that lane for the specific person to purpose of holding you back until they're in a place where they can get over to the side. Yeah. But there are streets like that. I think you'll tend to find fewer bicyclists on those streets. Um, more, you know, at least um, not as many slower bicyclists. You might find like the Lycra, you know, you might be on those streets, but I don't think you'll find as many beginning bicyclists, at least not when those streets are sort of at their peak level of use. And then when are the, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, I'm kind of lost on the transportation plan. I was just going to add to to your question that I think, I'm a pretty avid, I'm an avid bicyclist, but bicyclists know when someone's trying to avoid them, you know, carefully versus someone that's not trying to avoid them. So like, we're, we're aware enough on the road that when you're trying to be careful, we know there's another car coming and, you know, you can kind of get that feel. It's when folks clearly are not trying is when bicycles also notice. I mean, it's, it's yeah. easy to pick out. So. And so what we typically recommend is like you give the bicyclist at least five feet. If you can get into the next lane, 
yeah. that's preferable. Um, but like on a 25 mile an hour street, usually five feet right. will suffice. Faster than that, you really want to get in the other lane because then you're bringing a lot of lane and everything behind you as well. So, And then when are people being taught or children being taught rules for bicycling? Because I find a lot of bicyclists also stop signs, they just go right through. Yeah. And um, I mean, as a previous motorcyclist, I know, I mean, you, you can stop and go, but you still have to stop. Yeah. So bike education, there is some bike education taught in the schools. You guys teach some bike education. I think, you know, we we do provide information, but we, we don't, we're not edu educators in the sense that we don't teach classes. I think most bicyclists will roll up to a stop sign, and if they don't, once they've checked it out, they'll roll through, which incidentally is what most motorists do as well. Not right. Yeah. Right. So not you, April. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you come to a full. I, and I should say, and I should say, I brought with me just for information. I only brought one of these, but um, we were looking recently at bike, bicycle and pedestrian collisions. The bikes, the pedestrians are blue. The bikes are yellow. We have been trending down, despite the fact that more people are riding. <laughs> Iowa City is growing population-wise. Um, our bicycle collisions are trending downward so far, so that's a good thing. I think. Why are we suddenly hitting more people at the end? What's that? Why are we suddenly hitting more people at the end? Is that the end of the pandemic? That little spike at the end. That is the pedestrians. It probably is likely that it is because, okay. as you people. recall, well, the students weren't here. The students uh, yeah. So yeah, and, and downtown area is the area where we have yeah. the most yeah. pedestrians. Yeah. So. The other thing is that these are pretty low numbers. So whenever yeah. you know when we're only talking in the tens or twenties, you get one or two, and it really spikes. Yeah. And I should say that with. Um, both um, bicycle within the city of Iowa City, you will hear fatalities out on country roads, roads yeah. um, which is a whole separate situation. Yeah. But within the city of Iowa City, we have not had fatalities during this time period. Um, I would say we average one to two serious injuries a year. Mm -hmm. um, pedestrians, that's a, that's a different situation. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but still, even with pedestrians, um, they, they're We've had three in that period. We've had three fatalities. One was a complete freak accident, and two of them were people trying to cross the Highway 116 corridor at night. And, it, it, and that is an area where we're giving extra attention for pedestrian facilities. So, but but it's a good sign that we're trending trending down. I know that people sometimes get frustrated with bikes. Bikes get frustrated with cars. But it seems like most people are, you know, following. Hopefully, doing the right thing, and that's what's and that's what's making it the numbers go down. So and I don't know how much time you guys have, but I would argue too. You know, when you look at this intersection, everything that's going on, you know, you've got bikes and pedestrians and trucks and all these things. You know, we're just not seeing accidents. So I mean, and this is not the world's best intersection either. So it's just a matter of you know, when you go out around town and see what's really happening, and then you look at how few accidents we're actually having. It's actually pretty impressive. I mean, with the with the university and. Yeah, yeah with the fact that we have so many new people in town every year who are not familiar with the street network or the bike network. And new motorists, because of the hospitals and things, we get a lot of rural uh, yeah. drivers, folks that aren't used to driving in towns anyway, an elderly population, so it's, for all those reasons, our numbers are shockingly low. You always know schools just started when people start going the wrong way on the one way. Yeah. So you're like, no, turn around, yeah. Yeah. And I 
should say that at least I'm not sure about the bicyclists, but pedestrians nationally, the trend was a great increase after 2020 of, of people being killed and struck by cars, and that was not our experience. Well, uh, I was just going to ask for final questions here. So I, I think I have two others, but uh, one is. Um, Dangerous intersections, I think the master plan identified dangerous intersections. What's kind of the outlook for addressing the most dangerous intersections? For so we, we look, what, how often so, do we do? So sort of when, when we have time, we do, uh, we actually do a collision analysis. So we look at every, we look at every intersection in the entire urbanized area, because we also work for the other communities. Um, and actually look at those high collision locations and actually look at countermeasures and how to correct them. Sometimes there's countermeasures and sometimes there's just not. So every five or so years we go through this exercise. Um, I, to be honest, more often than not, there's not a lot we can do. It's just a matter of, you know, you've got intersections like this, they're just, you've got mi literally millions of vehicles a year if you actually add up the average daily traffic passing through these intersections. So uh, often there's nothing we can do. But, um, we do look and make sure the signage is correct. We can update the pavement markings. Um, sometimes it's geometry, and sometimes we, re we rebuild the old intersection. I mean, that happens. Uh, so a few things that we days. just do routinely is in the downtown area, um, and this probably benefits bicyclists well. There, in, for many of the signals, there's a leading pedestrian phase, so the pedestrian gets the goal before mm -hmm. the motorists. Um, we have you'll we notice the, the yield to you know yield to turning. Um, turning traffic yields to bikes and ped signs, you'll see those. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we put in down pedestrian timers. I mean, there's things we can do, but once yeah. we've exhausted all, all those tools, sometimes it is difficult. But also, when there is, um, on the occasion when there is somebody that gets in what appears to be a serious bicycle accident within or pedestrian situation in Iowa City, we'll usually be aware of that right away, and we'll go out and look and say, is something like, is, is there something obvious that was going on? So, so do you guys work timing the lights for cars we also? We do, yeah. Okay, because we need to work on Highway 6 because I traverse that. Yep. So, so, yeah, so we do. Um, we have what we call our 20% signal timing plan. So every year we roughly retime 20% of the signals in Iowa City okay. uh, with the idea that every five years they all get kind of refreshed. The issue that we suffer is that these corridors like Burlington, like right now, if you go uh, east to west, west to east on Burlington, you guys know you'll get stopped at every other, if not every intersection. Uh -huh. If you go through at midnight, it'll be greens from one end to the other. Yes. And the reason is, is because of the pedestrian push buttons. Uh -huh. So whenever somebody hits one of these pedestrian push buttons, we have to give them extra time to cross because they're on foot. Okay. So that then throws out the coordination. And they'll catch back up. But then somebody else hits it, and, and once that happens all the way through the corridor, okay. there's really no way to keep them coordinated okay. until everybody is essentially gone, and then they'll catch back up. Yeah, but then as soon as somebody hits one, it throws them out of Yeah, because I go from Menards to yeah. uh, First Avenue in Iowa City with all, like, multiple times a week. And sometimes I'll get lucky, and like mm -hmm. you said, I'm like, I hate every line, oh my god, this is like a miracle. Yeah. And other times, like, Every light. And it takes a long time to yeah. get down that road if you're yeah. hitting everything. There's a lot of lights. Yeah. And then some of those signals are running free, we say. So as long as there's nobody on the sides, uh, you know, the opposing traffic, it'll just stay green. Stay green yeah. But to do that, every time somebody comes up, it has to trip it then and it throws it out of coordination, which is probably what you're experiencing. Okay. So there's yeah. 
limited ways to do it, but we do, um, we try, we can't retime uh, re the quarters, the river construction, obviously we avoid yeah. those. Um, but every five years, we try to refresh the whole city. Yeah, because just in the years I've been driving it, Highway 6 is getting more yeah. busy yeah. by the day, it feels like. And there's yeah. a lot of traffic on it yeah. all the time. Yeah. Thank you so much. Did you have a, a, just a quick question. As we plan these trails and routes, you're obviously looking for connections for people to get places. Do you also take into consideration trying to connect habitat through corridors. Like we have a ton of nice trails on really beautiful, like our waterways have nice wildlife areas for people to ride and walk through. Um, and do we try to connect places with nice wide swaths of, of habitat so animals can get from one place to the other as well, from like City Park to Hickory Hill or True Blood to Sycamore Greenway to Usually what, what I think the corridor is, is the, is the creek system and the ravines because there is no development in there. I can't, I mean the, the bike system, the, the, the bike lanes and stuff just follow the streets. But the bike trails are in places where, are typically in floodplain. So you think of all that, and in places where they're, um, development is either discouraged or um, you can't develop. So along um, easements, like sewer easements and things like that, is where we get, you know, like the Sycamore Greenway Trail is along its infrastructure. Yeah. You can't do it purposely. Yeah. I think Julie and Tyler probably do it, but I don't know. It's just not top of my mind. It's not what, I, what I'm good at. I, I would say living, I, just observing in East Iowa City, there's an awful lot of traffic of wildlife just along Rossi Creek. Yes. So. I think that, I mean, just as someone who bikes around here, like, I think things are noticeably better, like getting better. I mean, there's still a lot of things to do, but yeah. and you can see it, like, yeah. just in the last few years. And, you know, we, and we do have people yeah. who ask, you know, like, when we put a bike lane in, like, are you seeing a lot more people biking? And an individual bike lane isn't going to do that. Right. Once we get this network. So really, I think with the completion of the things that we have on this map, even though there are more things to do, I think that's when you'll really see that you know when that Highway Six trail is complete, and that that's really going to help a lot of people get through a part of the community um, and connect people. Um, so it's when the network is complete, then we can really start looking at you know are we getting more bicycle ridership, and then it always helps with the price of gas as well. So. And I appreciate your comment, Brian. I would I would argue that. You know, if you're not an avid bicyclist or you don't get out and walk a lot to actually take, you know, our trail map and actually kind of explore a little bit, I'm sure most of you are familiar with a lot of this in the park system, but um, I would argue that we're probably, in the Midwest, we may be the easiest place to get around right now with, in terms of like alternative modes of transportation. I mean, with bikes and heads, we have a great network. It's only getting better, but um, I would argue, really, besides Madison, Wisconsin, and some of our larger communities around, we're probably one of the best, to be honest. And this is, you know, this has been happening long before Sarah and I even started. I mean, this has been something the city and, and you know, folks like yourselves have been interested in for a long time, and it's finally kind of coming to fruition. And are there grants and stuff that we can apply for? Yeah, we do. So one of the things that we do with the MPL hardware job is um, that's federal grant money. So there's money that the city kicks in. Sure. And then Matches. most of our, so with the streets, um, they get, um, 
STDG funding, surface transportation block grant funding. We have our amount that we pay and that the STBG is the other. For the trails, for the purely bike and pedestrian, um, there's matching funds through the Transportation Alternatives Program. And now with the infrastructure bill that went through, there will be, be more money for things. It's really, in that case, it's really a matter of, do we have enough and then there are also there are state trail rec grants there are other grants like that and i would imagine that you apply for grants for portions of bridges and things like that as well and is there some kind of certifications that the city can get and maybe we already have this that makes us like bike friendly usa or well, that's like, like that's usa that's the league, um, the, the League of American Bicyclists. Um, we last applied, I think, a year ago, and we're given silver. They have different levels. Okay. I would just, one of the things that I didn't bring with me, you know, we were kind of disappointed to get silver. And so I went through and did, this is how we were. found out about the speed, that in comparison to some of our cities that we would obviously compare ourselves to, Madison, Wisconsin, Bloomington, Indiana, Urbana, Illinois. Like Lincoln. We were at, we actually did, I mean, technically we did better, but we scored lower because we don't have high, high speed. speed. And so I tried to point that out to them. They're changing how they score, but so I would say, and I think some of the people on our bicycle advisory committee feel this way. It's nice to have the, the league to kind of go through and check ourselves and see how we're doing and evaluate. Yeah. But like anything, if you put too much stock in it, I mean, the league yeah. is comparing cities like New York City and Los Angeles right. with cities like West Liberty, Iowa. <laughs> right. That is not. That, that's a hard. I'm just asking thing. more, almost yeah. from like a marketing purpose. No. We're always looking for things to make Iowa City or this region a great place to live. Yeah. Or so we do. It, so we do. So I think silver status is a good thing. Yeah. And, and so that's bicycle friendly status. Okay. And one of the things we'll be working with Julie on at some point in the near future too is through our NPO, the funds we get, we'd like to do a wayfinding system. Yeah. But uh, not, you know, Sarah works on our street wayfinding system, which is part of the bike master plan, but an actual trail, or like a legitimate, yeah, yeah, like a, like a like, one where we need to hire a consultant and put yeah. in some okay. expensive monuments and things like that. So, so, it's not, so I think that's the branding part that we, yeah. If you if you look at the if you look at the trail map later, especially the county side, um, we coordinate with Iowa City works together with Coralville and North Liberty and Tiffin and County. We now, I mean, we are very close to a point where you can hop on the bike trail at Terry True Blood, and but for riding on Normandy around City Park, on Normandy where no one lives on street. You will be able to ride all the way out to Kent Park with maybe three street crossings. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be really incredible. So that will all be connected then, and we are now connected. So you can ride from Iowa City, and you can ride, and but for a short on-street connection between like Solon and yeah, I mean, Manhattan. 
you, there's a little on-street section there. You can ride yeah. all the way to Waterloo, yeah. Iowa. <laughs> so those are that's a big deal, and that's why we're sort of encouraging like this branding because yeah. it will be a destination. And then with all of the single track trails that we're getting and the cyclocross trails, it can be a bike destination. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. I mean, that's a huge yeah. branding. So I would say if you haven't checked out, and again, it's on the back of yeah. the map, the White um, Iowa City. Really go to their site and take a look because they've got a ton of information there. Thank you so very much. Appreciate yes. all that you're yeah. doing. Thank you. Thank you. And there's also directions about the shirt box. Yeah. Yeah. Julie knows where to find us. If you guys have follow-up questions, you want to sit down with us uh, individually, phone calls, all that kind of thing. We're, we're more than happy to help you. Yeah. And thank you very much. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks for having us. All right, with that, we'll move on to item five and start with the what's happening next week with City Council in terms of Park Master Plan. Um, it's not an agenda item, so we can't have a discussion on it, but I would like to just give you an update of what they're going to see um, next Tuesday. Um, on the 18th, so I will be doing a presentation during the um, 4 o'clock work session, and that will be similar to the presentation you saw back on May 23rd, but with several additional slides. Um, but one of the slides that's towards the front is going to be a summary to help them walk them through, and if you could just stay on the front page for a second, walk them through what they're approving if they approve the plan on Tuesday, because yes. there's a lot of confusion about that. And so I just want to walk through this. They, the future steps are what's being approved with the master plan, if approved, is first of all the Mercer Park ball fields and pickleball tennis court renovations. That's already design already initiated, initiated, that's already starting. The recreation program adjustments, and there would be a larger you know, slides about that. Those are things happening with our program mix that we've been talking about for several months, things that are already happening with that. The idea of eventually decentralizing recreation program spaces by investigating opportunities, including partnerships. So this is where we talked about a satellite facility possibly in Weatherby Park with the neighborhood centers or having a, another indoor recreation space at City Park or other areas as opportunities arise. City Park Pool, and there's a separate press release at the end of your packet that went out uh, two days ago about that. What, the, what they would be approving is replacing the pool within its current site in 2025, but also with initiating a pool design process, including extensive public input in 2024. So the concept schematic design that's been out there since phase one is just that. And it can be um, massage changed based on the, that next, but what the plan is saying is that it has identified that the pool really needs to be fully renovated, replaced basically within the fence line that's there. And the right. it went through for 25, there wouldn't really be a pool season in 25. Is that Correct, right? that was a big question yeah. I got today too. Most yeah. likely you'd be for the entire, yeah. entire summer. Yeah. So, and then Mercer Scanlon, and you will see this for both rec centers, it says to go ahead with the current annual repairs. So at Mercer, that means replacing the roof, which is in the budget, or will be the next time you see it. Continue with those annual maintenance repairs. Consider expanding it with the gym, the indoor walking track, the warm water pool, and accessible hot tub in 2026 or beyond. So after City Park Pool project is completed. And then here at Robert A. Lee, 
It's continue with annual maintenance repairs, track and report the attendance each month to the Parks Commission, and then consider the future of the pool in 2026 or beyond with Mercer Scanlon facility discussions, or if there's extensive renovations repairs needed to continue operations before that, that might change that timeline. And then to monitor kind of the west side um, developments for future rec space. So that's the things that they would, if they say yes on Tuesday night, that's what they're approving. So if you could help get the word out, they are not approving closing any facilities, including Robert A. Lee at that time. And there's been a lot of, I've come to realize, as we've sat down again with the friends of Robert A. Lee, there's a whole lot of confusion out there between us changing our operating hours and reducing those afternoon and mid-morning hours and closing the pool totally. And two very, two different, one's master plan related, one's not. Um, so I think we're on, we're on the road to helping explain that some, but closing the pool is actually not on, not the recommendation of the master plan. It is to continue to look at the numbers and cross that bridge after and if those other things happen. So they'll get this on a slide during the work session, and this will also be shown during the council meeting to help everyone hopefully understand that if they approve the master plan, that's what, that's the parts of being. And is, being is there budget numbers with or no. estimations with any of this? Not necessarily because this is a vision master plan. We have some, and there's some in the larger reports. But once again, those are probably things that come further down the road when you do specific design. Why, uh, why is the uh, city park pool for South 2025? Is this just kind of a budgetary consideration? Yeah, it's been, it was funded in 2025 a couple years ago, so it's been sitting there in the end. That's probably And uh, is that because we're potentially needing a bond to do that? Uh, maybe, maybe not, but the, the capital improvement budget <laughs> you're up against the bicycle things you just heard about, the road improvements, the bridges, and everything else. There's only so much money we can buy for citywide, yeah. so things get slotted in, and the, that's where it's set for right now for that. The next thing you have is the executive summary that will be posted online Thursday yeah, tomorrow with the council packet. The version you have is still draft. Please notice the draft. <laughs> Markings. We did some edits this afternoon that went back to the consultants, but this is the gist of, of what's um, uh, being recommended by the plan. If you go to this third or fourth page, you start with short-term opportunities, mid-term and long-term goals, which matches up with what we just talked about, funding and timeline. So you have that. And then the final thing I gave you was um, did a press release about city park tools specifically this week, just because there is a lot of um, other information out there that may or may not follow what's actually happening. So we tried to get ahead of that a little bit. I will be speaking with the Historic Preservation Commission tomorrow night at their regular meeting because they have a group that is asking to see if the pool would be um, considered a historic site. Oh, no. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, so part of this information is about that and what the plan is saying. As you remember, the idea is to redevelop it, redevelop it in a way that keeps the aesthetics of the current pool, the current size. A lot of the discussion about the actual shape of the final project, 
that's still to be determined. So if you can help spread the word, if they really, if people really want a rectangular pool, I think we can make it happen with the kind of amenities we want. Um, it's just a little bit different from the kind of the pool. So there's still a lot of possibilities that would be readdressed in 2024. Is the historic plush by individuals that want to keep it from being changed? Is that the, for what I, reason? I'm not 100% sure. Because, I mean, having something designated historic is a whole different can of worms. Okay. Like a whole different. So that's the update of where we're at on the, the plan. Um, so next Tuesday, the team council will have a, have a larger presentation during the work session at, at 4 o'clock. There's not public comment back and forth during the work session. But you can't go. You can go, yeah, please do, come if you'd like. And then it is, right now, it's the last item on the formal council agenda, so it could be late because it's, it's kind of a beefy agenda. Um, and I will do a short presentation then. We've talked, I think Missy's going to speak in, in terms of the um, both the steering committee and the parks commission with what you approved in the last month. Uh, and then there will be time for public comment and the council to take action, not take action, table it, do a whole number of different things. We just don't know exactly what would happen at that point. So, okay. Most of the items that are talked about in the master plan have now been programmed into our new capital project budget, which in, with this group we typically go over in November, so you can see where those are, some of those things are plugged in for future years. Okay, that's my primary group. Yeah, just a couple of programming updates right now. Our, our Recreation Division staff uh, is in the throes of fall programming. Uh, over the next 17 days or so, we have 10 different um, Halloween themed uh, events and programs going on. So to be our snack to the Raptors, Halloween goodness. Halloween is awesome. And then we have um, three three weeks left at the regular farmers market. So get out there to get all your all your goods. Um, it's going to be closing down at the end of October, and then we move into our uh, holiday market. So we have one in November, and then one in December, and then kind of regrouping for the next year there. Um, so kind of getting through that, staff is working on fall programming right now. Uh, their first drafts are due on Monday of next week, so we already kind of turned that over for the spring and winter programs. Um, and then really as we hit November and December, we slow down a little bit. If there's ever a slow time for, for parks and recreation, it's not really, but that's probably like our slower time is during the holidays. And so we, we regroup some and we work on a lot more like internal policies and procedures and the documents that we use and kind of having discussions around those different things and tightening those up. So that's kind of where we're at with recreation. Since we talked about trails and bike stuff, um, I just walked the trail with the consultants on Monday over at uh, Willow. Um, so from uh, the end of uh, Willow Creek Drive, I think it's the street that's got the got dates area on it and the cul-de-sac there, all the way to Benton. Um, so that will be getting resurfaced. Um, the idea is to uh, make it concrete this time instead of asphalt. We've had a lot better success with our concrete trails recently and holding up um, 
so that that trail's in pretty rough shape now. Um, so uh, we moved that up actually in the CIP a couple of years ago, noting how bad that was getting. So um, that'll be a next year project. Um, this winter you might see some uh, removable honeysuckle and things like that along there. They're going to need a little bit more space beside the trail to uh, um, to do that work as well. And most of that's a wall of invasive uh, shrubs there. Um, We've been working as well with bike um, items uh, on uh, the work for our single track trail we're doing at Terrell Bell Park. You won't see much of that until it's closer um, to done sometime next year. Um, we, uh, we're going to do the work in the interior before we connect to pieces so we can keep people off of it while we're doing the construction of that. Is that started yet? Uh, yeah, we've done some cleanup and some tree removals in spots. Um, there was a whole lot of cleanup in one area from some uh, uh, just a lot of debris and trash, that, that tons of it, literally tons of it. Um, let's see, tree planting. Um, we have a volunteer project this weekend, um, 9 o'clock on Saturday. Um, we had a $10,000 grant um, from the DNR. Um, Two different grants combined this time, so it didn't actually require a match, which is great. So ten thousand dollars worth um, will uh, be planting, I believe, it's sixty-seven trees at uh, Northmore Crossings. Um, so it's a good spot to get some more young trees started to uh, really get some shape there into the future. Um, the other CIP projects with tree plantings in the South District uh, right now, the neighborhood kind of Langenberg and parts off of that are, are getting planted right now. Um, Whispering Meadows Playground, um, that is mostly um, constructed. Um, we were missing a, a couple pieces from the manufacturer that we're, we're waiting on, but we've gotten a majority of that um, put together um, in the last uh, two weeks, so um, that's coming along, um, as well as the other projects, uh, Court Hill and um, City, or out of the Ped Mall, um, and uh, Chattic Green. So those are all progressing. Chattic Green, there will be a delay on that. The playground's not going to come until at least end of January now. Um, we got words, so, um, but hopefully the rest of that is, is done this year still. So, um, let's see. Uh, we had meetings for, um, uh, a meeting for uh, Kiwanis Park um, last week. And there'll be another meeting um, coming up in the next month or, or so here, still this before the holidays, um, to take that input that the public provided um, and consultants uh, looking at uh, designs now and then come back to everyone presenting that and making any adjustments that maybe we needed. We had about there. 42 people come from that neighborhood. Um, we sent out over 3,000 postcards <laughs> to let people know the meeting was happening. And at the time that that next round of that one is, we will be having a, um, a, a round of um, public input for um, Hunter Toronto as well. So that'll be another project for next year. Um, other than that, we're, we're gearing up to help streets with uh, leaf collection next month. So we always uh, work in tandem with them, provide a couple of staff members each day, and uh, um, some of our staff uh, uh, come in to get overtime on the weekends uh, to help them out. So. Um, I know everyone uh, uh, is a fan of the program. We're working a little bit on some public uh, um, uh, engagement with other ways you can um, uh, 
control your, your leaf litter besides just putting it all at the curb. It's great for your lawn in most instances if you get it chopped up enough or if you chop it and bag it, it can be mulch in your, your planting beds. Um, so lots of good things you can do besides just you know all of it going off to the landfill or going off to uh, um, farm fields around. So farmers even use it in some instances. So um, it's, it's good fertilizer. Do you compost at all, or what happens to all the things you collect? I don't know what the process looks like once it gets to the landfill. I know they do a pretty good job with compost and other uses of things, so I'm sure there's something, but but I'm not sure. Um, I think they try to get it out to farm fields first. Yes. They have a number of places that take it, and they dump it that way. And then, but I don't know exactly what happens with it. What's left? It could become part of the cap layer as well. Is um, they need that in some spots in the landfill, but um, that would be a guess as well. So. For the, you said Saturday, yeah. are there still any volunteers, you know, so who's? I think we should have a pretty good number of volunteers, um, but anyone is welcome. Um, Rotary um, will be volunteering with that. Um, and I know the one group was excited because they meet right at Big Grove, uh, the new group too, so it's it's right by there, um, you know, it's kind of their backyard where they meet. Um, we've invited uh, um, and talked to uh, Becky with the county, um, with county's uh, sustainability. We've invited her to ask around there because we have been getting a request. Um, people use that on their lunch breaks and other breaks throughout the day to come over, so a few people might be joining from that too. You can just join in Rotary and be like, great, new member. Appreciate all that staff does, so definitely as members of the commission, I know we all love the parks and recreation opportunities here that are provided in the community. So thank you for the hard work, not just by you, I know we see the faces here, but we know that there's countless staff as well that work behind the scenes that I'll be sure to extend our appreciation to them as well. Move on to the, oh, item number six, no, nothing from me from the chair's report. Moving on to item number seven. Maybe we'll start over here with Brian. Anything you'd like to bring before the commission? No, none. I just have two questions about two different um, different parklands. Um, the Hickory Hill Park, where are we with the redevelopment? Where's the city council or? Yeah. what they're planning and zoning. It looks like they're starting construction yeah. back there. So we will be getting the land donation, but not until all the public improvements are completed on the development. So okay. I don't know if we've heard any more, Tyler. Anything else? I think yes. there was a specific time frame yet. The last we had asked, um, it just kind of but maybe like next spring we would start incorporating it, or is that too early? Yeah, I, I guess know. it's going to be a little longer than that. Okay. I, I think it's generally open for people to walk through and whatnot, but. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, they're definitely starting some stuff back there. Yeah. And then another second question. Years ago, before Riverfront Crossing was what it is now, kind of in the pre-phase, there was potentially several phases of additional things that might happen back there, maybe an amphitheater, or yeah. maybe it was some land acquisitions issues. Is that still on the table? Is there still a future plan for that, and where is that? Sure. So those items are right now sitting in our unfunded list of the capital plans. So they are assigned a date. Um, we do have plans, like kind of shovel-ready plans for both an amphitheater or like an amphitheater kayak launch down on the river. Actually a second restroom and a second bridge. A lot of it depends on the future of where the air rental site is on, on the east side and then most of the land 
um, on the west and to the north along the river over there. And Capitol Street, do I have the right street name? Yeah, Clinton. Clinton and Capitol. Yeah, that intersection will get reworked, but a lot of that depends on what happens to the land just to the west of that. So, okay, so it's kind of. At this point, it's all kind of on hold, but the plans are still out there. Okay, yeah, I'm just curious. We talked about it a long time ago. I mean, I just want to add, you know, last meeting was pretty interesting. And if, as I was looking back through everything, I, I wish I could change my vote today to not moving forward with the master plan for Mercer Park. So much went into that. The study, everything. Um, I felt like, oh, maybe I'm letting some of the loud voices take over for what was years and thousands of other people planning it. So I know I can't take back my vote, but if I could, I would. <laughs> so I just want to get that on the record. Yes, I echo Connie's statement. Um, I feel like it was a, a very intense and confusing process. Um, and I, it was even like up in the middle of the night thinking about my vote and the misrepresentation of so many other constituents and, and things that went into that master plan, the statistically valid survey and an outreach that staff um, and, and the city did prior to that um, middle phase that we were focusing on. Um, and I think that it was also very difficult to have um, a, a robust conversation among commissioners because the, the crowd was so loud, um, booing and clapping, and um, obviously we can't control, control the crowds and it is a public meeting. Um, but I think that moving forward, especially since we're going to have um, new commission members on coming on board, that it might be helpful um, in, a, in a, a future meeting to have some sort of um, training as far as training, I don't know if that's the right word, but just to, um, so that we just have more, I have more confidence, like I'm very happy to give anyone my opinion, but I was, I was surprised at how intimidating that was. And so I can't imagine for a new person that doesn't even know, like, you know, comes in new to 40 people questioning. Yeah, and so I think that like there's just more, maybe if there was some sort of training that we could do additionally for commission members so that when we are faced with a really tense conversation and, and um, loud public comment, that we would feel more confident as commission members to be able to put that aside and talk because I feel like I wasn't able to voice a lot of my opinions and I, I feel like there were other people here too that really couldn't survive that kind of way. But anyway, that was, I said that if that could be a future agenda item, I think that would be. Yeah, and then um, I, Missy and I had talked earlier this week about some of this too and I talked with our city attorney's office and they aren't willing to come in next month or maybe, maybe in January depending on and do an actual training so that you help because that was a lot the last couple meetings have been a lot for all of me we realize that so thank you for sticking with it so. didn't we ultimately like vote to kind of proceed with you know that was my understanding like that we didn't you did okay yeah but without like the pool um but the timing of uh your, it was your, confusing yeah, yeah. so it, it, it was is kind of yeah. it is go to this and it is that you would look at Mercer and Robert Ailey pools at the same together, together oh, instead oh, of one in front of the other. And then that way you can decide what makes sense based on counts and usage. And, yeah, it was, they were confusing um, motions even after the fact. 
I guess I, I didn't necessarily think that our vote, like, given what we voted on, I, I didn't think that like we kind of tailored our vote to the crowd, but maybe I'm misunderstanding what I voted and on. And unfortunately, I have to stop you all. You can't really, <laughs> you can't really have a discussion about it now either so because it's vote. not on the agenda. Okay. Okay. So, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you all, and I think more training and this is more typical, had been very much more typical of our meetings. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> this is how 